So I just want you to know um, that your role is important. Um, <clears throat> if it were left up to men to run this entire planet and there were no females in the story, this place would be a mess. Um, in the creation story in Genesis chapter 3, when the fall happens, um, Adam and Eve, you know, if you go back and read the story, they eat from the fruit, the, uh, the serpent tricks uh, Eve into eating the fruit, and, you know, and guys have been just trying to fix it ever since, you know. Um, wow, that joke went over way better first service. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Yes. Um, so they, they, in Genesis chapter three, Adam and Eve fell and, uh, and sent into the picture and, and all that kind of stuff. But at the end of, uh, after they, they fall, um, there's some consequences to their sin. And, uh, um, and then it goes on in Genesis three, chapter 20, it says that Adam named his wife, Eve, which in Hebrew, the, the word Eve is very close to the word life, which is why Adam named his wife Eve, because she was going to be the mother of all the living. Like she was the, the representation of life. And I love that because what happens in that story is literally after the fall. So after sin happens, Adam is literally speaking a prophetic word in faith over Eve. There's no children yet. Nobody's had a baby. And he's saying literally like, Our, we, we messed up, we missed the mark, but I am going to name you life. Now, don't be confused. Um, she was a woman, and, and the, like in, in the creation story, it says that she was taken out of man. So Eve was taken out, or women were taken out of men. And the purpose of that was so that men and women would co-equal labor together. That's the point, is that men and women are designed to work together. Adam and Eve were to co-equal, co-labor together. It's like two halves of a, of a sphere or a ball. You put them together, and it makes a ball. Like It's two things that were designed to become one flesh. And so it says that, that, that the woman came out of the man to partner with man, but her name wasn't woman. Adam named his wife Eve. So her calling was to partner with humanity, to partner with her husband, but her anointing, the name, the identity that Adam spoke over his wife was that she was the mother of all living. She brought life. If you're a female in the room, I'm here to tell you today that it's not just your calling to partner with men. Your identity this morning is to bring life to every circumstance that you find yourself in. Mothers, you are life givers. 
females in the room. You are life givers. The name, the identity that you have over yourself is that you are bringers of life. You are called to unmess messy situations. I know that because my wife unmesses my mess all the time. My wife unmesses my children's mess all the time. If she wasn't in my life, my life would be absolutely chaotic and disorganized. Men in the room, amen? Come on. The reality is that women are called to bring life to their homes, life to the situations that they find themselves in. And it was a word given by Adam post-sin that Eve is to bring life to messy situations. And from that point on, women have been doing that ever since. It's part of your identity, ladies. That's a high calling. That's powerful, powerful what you have been called to do. Now, uh, I don't want to just give you a biblical example of that calling. I want to show you tangibly with your eyes and ears uh, an example of what it means for a woman to bring life into an atmosphere, all right? Women, you're called to do this in your homes, in your workplaces, with your families, with your friends. Bring life to a situation. Bring life to an atmosphere. And, uh, and I, I, got a, I got a little tangible example of what that looks like this morning. Um, I got permission. I just want to tell you, we're going to get real heavy for just a second. It's a 20-second clip. Okay, and I got permission from Pastor Scott to show this. Okay, so if you have a problem with it, you can email him and tell him you don't like it. All right, but uh, this is a tangible example of how a woman is designed to bring life into any atmosphere. All right, so watch this video real quick. Praise the Lord. Woo! For those of you that don't know, that is our very own Penny Newton. That's Pastor Scott's mom. So if you guys would like to know where Scott got his dance moves from, talk to Ernie, his dad. Um, I'm just kidding. Nah, listen, um, so <laughs> I know that's funny. Um, but the, the reality is that video, Penny is doing this thing called the floss. Now, if you, if you, if you have children, you know what I'm talking about because like every kid by DNA somehow knows how to do this dance. I don't know how it happens. Uh, we, we presented uh, a thing Hope City did at Wesleyan Christian Academy a few weeks ago. And, and I said, Hey kids, stand up. Now, let me just see you do the floss for 10 seconds. And every one of them, it's like they know how to do it. I don't know what the deal is, but like it's some kind of magic, you know, thing that the kids know. So anyway, um, she's trying, attempting to floss, right? Um, now, if you listen in the video, the guy says, Penny, that looks more like a brush, right? <laughs> um, but I do know that you are supposed to brush and floss every day. So like, then she's fine, right? But um, 
what's happening in that video is Penny is connecting with students. She's a volunteer in our children's ministry. And every week, she's not in this service because she's in there serving. She is bringing life to an atmosphere. Like, do you think that she sits around in her spare time and flosses at home? Like, do you think that she's like, Ernie, watch this? No. Now that might get them somewhere, praise the Lord. I think that's how Scott got here, actually. Scott, what's up, man? Um, but, like, she's not going to do that in her spare time. But what she is doing is she's taking her identity and her calling seriously to say, you know what? I, I'm, I'm going to minister to the generations. I'm going to submit myself to something that I would never do. <laughs> something I would never do on my own. But my desire is to reach these children. And if it means flossing to do that, then I'll reach them. Women in the room, you know what I'm talking about. How many episodes of Blue's Clues have y'all sat through? You know what I'm saying? How many Nickelodeon kids shows? How many poopy diapers? How many throw up on the floors have you cleaned up? How much mess have you gotten into? Women in the room, your calling, your identity, the name over you is to bring life to the atmosphere that God has you in. And he wants to empower you to do that. So today, we are celebrating life. We're celebrating the life that God wants to bring over all of us. And so, if you have your Bibles, um, turn with me to Genesis chapter 1 real quick. I, I, I just want to give a, a quick illustration, a quick thought process of how the Lord is integrating life into this place. And we're going to use the example of baptism um, uh, in connection with how the Lord is bringing life to us. Okay, so watch this. In Genesis chapter 1, it says this, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So this thought process, follow me, right? The heavens is this idea that, uh, like in Hebrew thought, when you, the, the, this part of the Bible was, actually, was written in Hebrew, so process through what it's like to be an ancient Hebrew, and this is the thought process they had, okay? Um, so the heavens were not only what you could see, like the sky, but like when you look at the stars and so on and so forth, what they saw is literally those stars and the sun and all that kind of stuff are like windows and doorways into the heavens, this spiritual place where God exists, okay? So God exists in the, the heavens, which is this spiritual place. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth is what we naturally see. It's like our natural selves. We can see this earth. We're on this earth. You can touch, smell, feel it. So it's like God is literally speaking these two things. There's a spiritual place and there's an earthly place. And we are designed to be a part of both of those things. 
We're spiritual beings designed to be spiritual people connected to a spiritual God. Yet we all have flesh and blood. We all have bones and stuff that's, that where we can naturally see with our eyes. Does that make sense? So he goes on and says, The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. The Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. I love that. The earth was without form and void. Without form is this concept that, that literally it means uninhabitable. It means, the, the word without form means um, that, that it's unproductive. There's nothing fruitful there. Uh, like a, like the, 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 this idea of a desert, that there's no structure, there's no guidelines, there's nothing. You can't live there, you can't grow anything there. There's just kind of nothingness, and there's no structure to it. And then it says it was void, without form, and void. The word void means to be empty, completely empty. So this idea is that the earth currently exists before creation as a nothingness with no guidelines, no structure, no substance. It's uninhabitable and empty. And then it goes on and says that the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the deep. The word deep, there is this... uh, this idea of something called an abyss. It's another word in, that they used in Greek. Um, and literally, well, I'll put it on the screen. Um, put put the, uh, the picture of, the, yes, okay. So, post-creation, this is the way that the ancient Hebrews thought of how the universe existed. Okay, so here's the picture um, let me get you another uh, word picture in your mind. Picture like uh, a potter's wheel, which is like a flat disc, right? And then what the potter does is he takes this clay and throws it, like sticks it on the wheel. And it's just formless and nothing, right? It's, it's there, but like there's, there's no structure. It's uh, unproductive. It's not fruitful. It's just a lump of clay. So the picture that the Hebrews had is that the earth is like a flat disc, like, like so, and then there's like this just, yeah, like it says, without form and voice, so just nothingness um, is just like all over this flat disc, and then all around it is surrounded by waters. So you have the, the firmament, the waters above, which is where... Um, God exists in the heavens, and like I said, the doorways are like the stars and the so on and so forth or whatever. Um, and then below the earth, you see that, you have something called Sheol, which is in uh, Hebrew, it's the word, the grave. And literally, the Hebrews believe that, the, that Sheol was a physical place that you could actually go to, but you had to die to get there. So that Sheol, and then below that, you see it says foundations of the earth. They believe that the, that, uh, the earth was actually held up by pillars, kind of like footings in a house. If you're going to build a house, you dig footings so that the house will stand up. That's kind of the thought process there. And then below that was something called the great deep. And the deep, the way that you got into the deep was by the sea. 
They believe that this, the, the, the great deep or the abyss or the sea, those are all synonymous words when they would use that. It's this idea that you are going away from God. Not that God can't get there, because like it says in Psalm 95.4, it says, in his hands, listen to this, are the depths of the earth. That word depths is the same as the deep that he's talking about. The heights of the mountains are his also. But the word, the great deep there symbolizes that you're going away from God, that, uh, that you're, you're going to be separated from him. So, for instance, like in the story of Jonah, when Jonah in chapter 2 gets swallowed by the fish and he laments, he writes a psalm in, uh, in Jonah chapter 2. Literally, one of the things he says is, I got swallowed and I'm going into the deep. It's this belief system that I was disobedient and now I'm going away from God. I, I'm going to get out of his presence and I'm going to sink down into this deep apart from him. So, um, it says... uh, that the earth was without form and void and darkness was hovering over the face of the deep. You can take that picture off now. Thank you. Um, So darkness is over the face of the deep. So picture this, okay, right? You've got your flat disc kind of thing going on and the, the potter has thrown some clay on there and it's without form and void and there's nothingness and it's dark and all that kind of stuff. And it says, the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. The spirit of God. Um, in Hebrew, that word spirit is ruach. When you're uh, Jewish, you have to have a lot of in your language. So if you phlegm, it, it helps, right? I've got some allergies going on, so that helps. Um, but the, the, the word spirit, uh, it means like breath, wind, something moving and motivating. So when it says the spirit of God was hovering, the word hovering is the picture of like, picture a a bird sitting on a nest, okay? The point of the bird sitting on the nest with eggs in it is to protect those eggs and to create heat in uh, in the, the environment there to create an atmosphere that is conducive for life happening, right? That's the point of an egg, uh, of, of a bird sitting on a nest. And the word hovering there is the same word. It means to brood, or in, in other words, to sit on a nest, to hover. And so the picture, the word picture, the mental picture that we get is the Spirit of God is hovering over this formless and void chaotic nothingness waiting for the word of God to activate. He's waiting for God to speak and when he speaks, he wants to jump in. And it says, the Lord said, God said, let there be light. And there was light. So God spoke something Father God spoke something and the spirit took action and there began creation. Now, from an imagery standpoint, um, this is literally describing our life. I love when you, when you can read through these parallels and see while these are actual histor- historical events that are happening Spiritually speaking, God is telling a story of your life and mine. You see, in uh, uh, this idea that before we meet Jesus, our life is formless and void. It's empty. 
It's nothingness. Our life without God is uninhabitable, unproductive, unfruitful. We cannot be fruitful. We cannot be productive because God is not, uh, because we're not aware of God's presence in our life. You know this if you've ever tried to do anything apart from God. How many rich people and so on and so forth do you know? I've met tons of people that say, man, I tried everything. I tried to get that job. I tried to get that woman. I tried to get that thing, whatever it was, and I went after it. And when I got it, it left me empty. It's the reason why addictions and things happen is because you're trying for that thing and it just won't fill the void. That's why people say that. There's this void in my life and I just don't know what it is. It's because your life apart from God is formless and void. It's unproductive. It's without fruit. But that's not the point of your life. Your life is not designed to live that way. The whole purpose is that the Spirit of God is hovering over you, waiting for the moment for you to receive what God wants for you. He's waiting for you to receive the Word of God in your life. It's without form and void until we say yes to Him. Look at this in John chapter 1, verse 1 through 5. John says... Oh, let me just tell you this real quick. Um, I just think this is important. So when John wrote this, this is, um, most scholars would agree that the book of John was like the last book. And if not the last one of the last books that was written in the New Testament. And so picture this, John knows, like he's, he's read the Gospels, he's read Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And he knows of Paul's letters. He's probably read them as well. He's known some of these other epistles, these letters that have been circulating around the church. And almost as like an end cap to the New Testament, John says, let me give you my perspective on the gospel message. Don't you love that the New Testament like begins with a gospel and ends with a gospel? Like chronologically, that's powerful. And so what John says, he says, let me kind of put an end cap on this. How does he begin? It says, in the beginning was the word. John takes it all the way back to Genesis. He's encompassing the entire book, of the, the whole book, the whole thing, all of the Bible. He's saying, in the beginning was the word. That word, word, in Greek is the word logos. It means the thoughts of God made manifest. So it says, in the beginning was the word, the logos, the thoughts of God made manifest. Who is that? That's Jesus Because later it says the word became flesh and dwelt among us. It says in the beginning was the word of God. The word was with God. The word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. So picture this. The Trinity, the Father, Son, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit are, are all actively involved in the creation story. In one, you have the beginning was the word, the logos, the thoughts of God made manifest, was present, and it was with God. Jesus was with God, creating with him. And then it says the spirit of God in Genesis chapter 1 is hovering, waiting for the word of God to become active. It says, in him, in Jesus, was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. What does that sound like? 
Well, that sounds like Genesis 1-2. What did God say? Or 1-3? He spoke and said, let there be light. And there was light. What was the purpose of this entire book? Is God is piercing the darkness. That's the point. The moral of the story is that God is piercing the darkness. He's breaking through with light. Jesus has come to bring light to your life. It's not just enough that you have life. The point of your life is to have the light of men in your life. We can't just walk around unaware. God is inviting us to encounter the light of Jesus so that our life makes sense. If your life doesn't make sense, it's because you might not know Jesus. If your life doesn't make sense right now, it might be because Jesus isn't showing up in your life. He is the light of men. It shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. It's the reason why baptism is such a big deal. You see, the picture of baptism, it's, it's not just a Christian thing. Um, baptism was actually a Jewish practice before Christianity. It was a Jewish practice. If you were a proselyte or someone that was converting from any other religion to Judaism, part of the symbol of stepping into the Jewish religion is that you would have a ceremonial cleansing that would happen. So when John in the Gospels, John the Baptist comes preaching a baptism of repentance. The reason why that wasn't weird to people that, that uh, to ask people to be baptized is because they were already seeing that happen. Now, what made it offensive was that the Jews were being asked to be baptized because that was the point of baptism was for a proselyte, someone who was converting into Judaism. So John was highly offensive in what he was asking. But the point of baptism is that you're entering into the waters. Now, waters, what does that symbolize? It says the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the deep. The Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Did, remember the picture? The great abyss, right? The great deep. What's the point? The point is you are willing to submit yourself to the abyss. You're willing to say, I am nothing without the presence of God in my life. God loves me and I'm valuable, but without God's presence, I'm to the abyss I go, <laughs> to the deep I go. And so the point of baptism is that you're submitting yourself to a death symbolically, not to stay there. Now, by the way, Hope City Baptism, we do hold you under for three minutes. All of you that are getting baptized today. I'm just kidding. You submit to the, to the baptism of the waters to submit to the deep for the purpose of what? Being resurrected. It's what Jesus did. Now, I distinctly remember in the Gospels a story of Jesus being baptized, right? And it says when he went under the water and came back up, what happened? Anybody know? The Spirit of God descended on him like a dove. Well, doesn't that sound familiar? The Spirit of God in Genesis is hovering over the face of the deep, waiting for the resurrection of life, for the creation of a new life. 
that's going to happen in the creation story. Jesus submits to baptism, the, the submission to the deep, and says, without God, I'm nothing for the purpose of being resurrected so that the Spirit of God would descend on him. And the Word would be activated in his life. It's symbolic for all of us. There's nothing magic that happens when you go under these waters. There's nothing like hooky-pooky spiritual whatever that happens in this, this water. There's nothing about that. The point is that you're symbolically saying, I'm submitting to death so that I would be resurrected to receive from God all that he has for me to receive his spirit, to receive his empowering, to receive everything that he has for me. That's why baptism is a big deal because what we believe is that the spirit of God is alive and active and he's hovering over your life. And he wants you to encounter the creative work that he has in your story. And it's not just by getting wet in this baptism pool. Every day, we need to submit to a baptism of God's Spirit. We need to wake up in the morning and go, Lord, if there's any flesh in me at all, kill it off. If there's anything trying to rise up in me that's not from you, I want it to go to the abyss so that I can come up resurrected and encountering your new life. Your spirit hovering over me. I want the word of God, the spirit of God to be activated in my life. And so God, if there's anything that's hindering me from that, please take it. I'll submit even to the point of death. That's powerful. That is powerful, friends. The reality is, is there's no other way. There is no other way other than submitting to the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, submitting your own body and your own soul and your own spirit to God to say, hey, I need the life of Jesus over me. The reason why I know there's no other way is, watch this, in Psalm 77, like this blows my mind. It says, um, uh, Asaph, who wrote this psalm, he's, he's talking about the people of Israel, the children of Israel, crossing through the Red Sea, they're being chased by Egypt, i.e. they're being chased by slavery. Doesn't that sound like all of us? Like sometimes I feel like that sin that easily entangles is like chasing me, you know what I'm saying? And I'm wanting to get away from that. And, uh, but the imagery in this psalm is that, uh, that Egypt is chasing after the people of Israel and God separates the sea for them. Now watch this. I love this. He says, I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Now see, this is why testimonies are important. The reason why you give a testimony of your walking with Jesus, of your salvation, of the fact that he has um, uh, come into your life and is your Lord and taking over is because we need to remember those things. We need to remember that we were once cut off. We need to remember that God has empowered us for new life. It says, remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember the wonders of old. It's good to look back to see the power of the testimony of God showing up in your life. He says, I will ponder all your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. Your way, O God, is holy. What God is like our God, is great like our God. You are the God who works wonders. You've made known your might among the peoples. You, with your, armed, uh, with your arm, redeemed your people, the children of Jacob and Joseph. When the waters saw you, listen to this, when the waters saw you, O God, 
when the waters saw you, they were afraid. Indeed, they, the deep trembled. What happened? The deep, the abyss, that symbolical, that symbo- symbolical. I said that in first service. The symbolical is not a word, guys. So I'm just going to go ahead and tell you. It's symbolic of this place that is apart from God. The deep trembled. It says, The clouds poured out water. The skies gave forth thunder. Your arrows flashed on every side. The crash of your thunder was in the whirlwind. Your lightnings lighted up the world. The earth trembled and shook. Listen to this. Your way was through the sea. Your way was through the sea. Your path through the great waters. Yet your footprints were unseen. You led your people like a flock. By the hand of Moses and Aaron. What's God's way for us? Through the sea. We all have to experience the submission of the death of our flesh. So that we can encounter the resurrecting life of Jesus Christ. The way to God is through the person of Jesus Christ. And the way that we encounter that. Is through the willingness to submit to our own flesh being killed off. That is powerful. I love that it says, yet, in uh, Psalm 77, I love that part where it says, yet your footprints were unseen. How many times in your life when you're going through the crap storm, like where you're like, dude, what is going on? I don't even see you, God. I don't even know what's going on. Are you kidding me right now? What, what are you wanting me to do? Like, I don't understand this. And God is there. He is present with you. He's saying, go through it. Go through it. I'm with you. That's the reason why it's continual. This isn't a one-time thing. Like I said, we're going to celebrate new life, but this is just a symbol. The point is that you're willing to be baptized every day. It's this willingness to say, God, I'll give you my whole life. I'll give you every breath. Whatever you want, God, I want it too. Please help my unbelief if I don't want it. Help me if I'm struggling. That's a beautiful, powerful word. It is through the sea. And lastly, um, we're going to land the plane. Holy Spirit's going to show up. Uh, I.e., that means the band's going to come on stage. Uh, Just so y'all, if you don't understand church language, um, so hint, hint for the band that, to come on stage, hint, hint. Um, y'all know, y'all love how smooth we are at Hope City. Um, I love this. As I was driving down the road one morning, the Lord literally downloaded this thought process into my brain space. I'm driving down the road and all of a sudden, like, like, in a, like an epiphany just happens, and all of a sudden, like, these dots get connected. I don't know if you've ever experienced that before, but it's, it's powerful when the Lord, like, connects a dot, and you're like, oh, my goodness, that's the point. I, I get it. Thank you, Lord. That makes sense. So I'm, I'm driving down the road, and I'm thinking on this passage. I'm thinking on all of these passages it, just in different ways, and I was thinking about that Genesis chapter 1 and the deep and the abyss, and I'm like, God, what is, like, what is that? Like, help me to, to understand this. And then all of a sudden, boom, this verse pops into my head, and it's in Revelation 21. Listen to this. In Revelation 21, John is saying, he's talking about when Jesus returns and what the new earth and the new heaven will be like. He says in Revelation 21, 1, then 
I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Get this. And the sea was no more. And the sea was no more. The sea, the abyss, the deep, that place that is symbolically away from God, the sea is no more. Why do we submit to new life? It's because we all, as followers of Jesus, believe that there's going to come a day where every pain stops, where every tear ceases, where every struggle goes away, and the sea is no more. We are going to be intimately, passionately, powerfully connected to God our Father every single moment of every day, and we're going to be fully aware of that connection. We're going to be fully aware of the fact that we are intimately in community with Him in every moment and there's no flesh, no sin, no no brokenness, no pain, no suffering that will keep us from that awareness of our connection with God the Father. Like, that is so powerful. I long for that moment I believe on that promise for the day where there is no more sea. So why do we celebrate new life? Why should we lose our minds when people get baptized? It's because it's a a subtle reminder, a physical reminder of God, there's coming a day where that right there will be no more. And we will walk with you unhindered in every single moment. Now listen, if you're in this room and the thought of being face-to-face with God brings fear or shame or like something like that in your, in your space right now, I just want to go ahead and speak against that. The deal is that our God is a loving Father and He loves you deeply and madly. And if you said yes to Jesus, there's not a single sin in your life that can keep you from Him. He loves you beyond measure. In those moments when all of a sudden you go, oh, I don't know about being in God's presence. Like, I'm, I'm still messed up. I still got some stuff to work on. God is saying, no, son, no, daughter. I want to empower you. I want to be with you. I want to walk with you through it. It doesn't matter where you're at. God wants to meet you where you're at. He wants to remind you that there's going to come a day where there's no sea where there's no separation, where there's no disconnection from Him. That is a promise that He has that we can all believe and stand on.